This morning we talked about the life of Josiah, the king of Judah, and we talked about some of the things that he did well, and we talked about uh, his call and, and how he took it upon himself to reform Judah more into the image of what God had called her to be, and he, he learned that message through discovering the book of the, the law that was found in the temple during the repairs, and, and all of the, the great reformations and, and uh, things that took place during his time. Um, we didn't really get into it, but you know, it, as the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you know, record these details, there are um, like each of the king's story ends with a brief description, basically, of what they did and maybe something about when they died and then who took over uh, to reign after them. And uh, so, when I go through my Bible and I'm looking in First uh, and Second Kings, I have green highlights and I have blue highlights. Uh, the blue highlights uh, when a, a king of Israel is uh, replaced, and the green highlights when a uh, king of Judah is. So that way you can just kind of keep track, and it, you know, you can see it a little bit quicker. Um, but we didn't get that far in the story of, of Josiah. We made quick reference to it, and we made a, a brief reference to his sons. But what I thought would be interesting uh, for the lesson tonight is to look at, uh, in essence, what led to the downfall of Josiah. When you read it in Second Quran, or sorry, in Second Kings, uh, very little is actually said about it. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Second Kings chapter twenty-three. Second Kings chapter twenty-three, in verse twenty-nine, this is uh, the story of basically what led to the the death of Josiah. Second Kings twenty-three, verse twenty-nine says. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went to meet him. And when Pharaoh Necho saw him, he killed him at Megiddo. The servants drove the body in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the, king of, uh, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in the place of his father. And then we learn that Jehoahaz raised 20, reigned 23 years. And if you look at verse 32, it says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Not necessarily his father, Josiah, but the ones before him. Uh, they had all done evil. And so Josiah was like this brief blip of righteousness in a downward spiral of Judah into captivity. Uh, it was basically their last chance to get it right. Uh, he gave it one final shot, and it lasted for pretty much during his life. Uh, but then you see that very quickly it all, uh, it all continues to unravel, and then Babylon comes in and destroys them. Babylon, however, actually plays a role in this story about his downfall, though. You, you see, he goes out and he meets Pharaoh Necho, um, Nico's on his way to meet with the king of Assyria, and that's all we're really told right here. And then we're told uh, very briefly, in like a brief phrase, that Josiah went out to meet him in battle, and Josiah was killed, and then brought in a chariot back to Jerusalem. Well, if you're reading that, you might think, after reading every great thing that he had done, why wasn't there any, like, you know, divine protection there. Why didn't, uh, why didn't God save him in this battle? Uh, why was it that uh, he went out there and so quickly and like ungloriously, like ingloriously, he, he, without any, 
It's just a sad, quick end to the life of someone whose reign had been going really, really well. Why, why was there not more there? Well, one thing that's interesting, especially when you compare like different books of the Bible, a lot of times you'll notice that when you read Chronicles and you compare it to First uh, and Second Kings, they'll tell a lot of the same stories. They'll talk about a lot of the same people. They're, they're going to cover a lot of the same details. But Chronicles is often more likely to give explanations to those types of questions or to give a reason for why something like this would happen. And in fact, Chronicles does. So the, even though the sermon this morning on Josiah was from uh, 2 Kings, tonight we're going to spend a little bit more time in 2 Chronicles. And we're going to look at what 2 Chronicles says as it fills in the details and gives us a little bit more information about what actually happened with Pharaoh Necho and with Josiah and how Assyria and Babylon play into that and what, what's going on here in the story. So turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 35. 2 Chronicles chapter 35, and we're going to be in verse 20. So this is uh, 2 Chronicles giving more detail than what you find in 2 Kings about what actually happened at Megiddo. By the way, uh, this morning we made brief reference to uh, the Valley of Hinnom and how uh, that was basically uh, condensed to the Greek word Gehenna, which is the word for hell. Well, uh, Megiddo is a very common place of battle in the Old Testament, and Har Megiddo would be the, the Mount of Megiddo. And uh, guess what word you may have heard before it pops up in Revelation comes from Har Megiddo, uh, Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon is, is a reference to uh, this place right here. And this is a place that's, that's uh, often uh, a battlefield in ancient Israel, and it becomes symbolic of, of uh, battle in the book of Revelation. Anyway, uh, here in 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 20, we're going to see what happens at Megiddo, what happens with Nico, what happens with uh, Josiah, and how it all plays out. So verse 20 says, after all this, now that phrase right there is talking about all of the incredible reformations and, uh, that, that took place. After getting the idolatry out of the land because he found the book of the law and he went to the prophetess Huldah uh, who, uh, who explained what he needed to do. And after reinstituting the Passover, unlike any Passover since the time period of the judges, there was a Passover uh, un, uh, under Hezekiah that Second Chronicles gives, but apparently it wasn't of the same nature uh, as the one that Josiah reforms. But after all of these incredible things that Josiah did, did, says in verse 20, when Josiah had set the temple in order, all right, so he, the, the temple worship is now taking place again, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to make war at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to engage him. Okay, so what's interesting about that is he's going up to Carchemish. Carchemish is not like a, a city in Israel or anything. Like, this is not Josiah's battle at all. Carchemish is the site of another battle that was taking place between Assyria and Babylon. And Assyria was in the waning years of its empire. It was uh, basically a shadow of its former self. Right, so the year this is taking place, it's going to be around 609 or so uh, BC. 612 BC is of the, the famous year of the fall of Nineveh. That's the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was the dominant empire in the ancient Near East for a long time, 
612 is kind of your, your important date for the fall of, of Assyria, the fall of Nineveh. What happens when Nineveh falls, they end up uh, moving over and trying to kind of restart things at a new capital in Haran, which also ends up falling in about 610. Then what you have left of the armies of Assyria and their king, they go over to Carchemish. And Carchemish is a city that is uh, under the rulership of Egypt down to the south. And Egypt during these years had been a vassal nation to Assyria. Assyria, a vassal nation meaning basically Assyria was their ruling nation and they would pay tribute and they would uh, help out and they were, they were loyal during battle and things like that. So Assyria is trying to muster one final stand as their empire is collapsing and another much mightier empire is on the rise. There's a pretty famous guy named Nebuchadnezzar who will eventually be king and he's leading some of the armies there. This is uh, the Babylonian empire and Nebuchadnezzar is, is uh, alive during this time and leading in some of these battles. Well, Egypt, who is allied with Assyria, is going up north to go help them out at the Battle of Carchemish. They're going to work together and see if they can make a stand against Babylon. They fail. Uh, they end up losing that battle, and Babylon ends up winning. Shortly after the Battle of Carchemish is when uh, Nebuchadnezzar becomes king of Babylon. And so what that tells you is all of those, all that stuff like Josiah's reformations and stuff, it's an interesting time in Israel's history. There's some famous people in Israel at that time, or in Judah at that time. Um, people like Jeremiah. He's someone who's alive in that time. He's going to pop up during the story here in just a little bit. Um, but also Daniel. Daniel's a kid running around Judah at this time. Pretty soon he's going to be taken by Babylon to go live in Babylon as, as a, uh, one of the king's wise men, basically. But, but he is alive at this time and probably a little kid. But he, and, and it makes you wonder. If Josiah and his reformations and his stand for the Lord and the covenant that all the people in there into was something that Daniel experienced as a youth and it stuck with him the rest of his life. Maybe that helped him be faithful to the Lord when he was in Babylon for all of those years. Maybe some of those, those uh, things that he witnessed and experienced played a role. We know Jeremiah did because in Daniel chapter 9, he mentions that he has a copy of Jeremiah with him in Babylon that he's reading. And he makes reference to it. The Jeremiah the prophet uh, spoke about the 70 years of captivity. And so, and so a, lot of these, you know, a lot of these important names that you've heard are all kind of connected right here during this time period at the end of the reign of Josiah. Well, Josiah notices, all right, there's a battle taking place way up north. Egypt, you know, if you're looking at a map, is down south. So in order for Egypt to get to the Battle of Carchemish, they have to, they have to walk there with a massive army. And you know what they, they're going to take their massive army through? It goes right through Megiddo. There's a highway that goes through there. And Megiddo is, is uh, where Judah uh, is going to go out, or, or where Josiah is going to go out to meet him. He has to pass through Judah in order to, to get there. And so uh, Josiah knows that Egypt is making its way through, and so he doesn't necessarily want Egypt and their massive army traveling through Judah. And so he goes out there with his armies to meet Pharaoh Necho as Pharaoh Necho's on the way to a battle that has, at this point, nothing directly to do with Josiah. So that's kind of the historical setting of what's taking place right here. Verse 21 after Josiah goes out to engage him, it says, But Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, O king of Judah? 
It's like, I don't have any beef with you right now. I'm, I'm focused on something else right now. Uh, you and I have no problem with each other. He says, what have I to do with you, O king of Judah? I am not coming against you today, but against the house with which I am at war. That's Babylon. That, that's uh, that's uh, what, you know, what will eventually be the Babylonian empire. And he says, that's who I'm going to war with. And then notice this phrase in verse 21. It's fascinating. And God has ordered me to hurry. He says, I'm going up to battle, not with you, with other people. And God has told me to hurry. Like, which God? Like, one of your gods? Or, or like, God, God? Uh, who are you talking about when you say God has ordered you to go do this? Um, then he says, step or stop for your own sake from interfering with God who is with me so that he will not destroy you. So Pharaoh Nico actually becomes kind of like a prophet to Josiah, telling him, hey, God wants me to go up here into this battle, and if you don't stop, he's going to destroy you. Well, that's a really interesting message for King Josiah to hear coming from the mouth of a Pharaoh. Uh, that's not usually where he hears about God from. It's not, it's not Jeremiah telling him this. Uh, it's not Holda the prophetess telling him this. It is uh, Pharaoh Nico telling him what God wants him to do. Well, guess what Josiah thinks of that? Apparently not much. Uh, I don't think he's going to get his information from Pharaoh Nico regarding what God wants. Uh, and so, verse 22 says, However, Josiah would not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to make war with him. Nor did he listen to the words of Nico. Then notice the next phrase, from the mouth of God. He, so apparently, Nico wasn't lying. Uh, Pharaoh Nico was telling the truth. And Josiah didn't believe him or didn't listen to him. Uh, even if he did believe him, uh, he still didn't adhere to the message, and so he was going to fight him either way. And so he came to make war with him on the plain of Megiddo. That right there is a wild couple of verses uh, for an, a number of reasons when you think about what, what's taking place here. For one thing, it reminds me that God, while we, while we read Israel's scriptures— our, the Old Testament is not intended to be a detailed history of all of the world. It's a pretty limited history of, of a people. And it's also not a detailed history of everything God has ever done in the world. It's, an, it's a history of what God is doing through one people, and it's a really important history of that people because those are the people that God has chosen to make a covenant with. That's the people that God has chosen to be a light to the nations around him. It's the nation God has chosen through whom the Messiah is going to come to bring reconciliation and salvation and blessing to the whole world. And so it matters that we read this history, but just because this is the history that we have does not mean that's all God has ever done in the world. It doesn't mean that God has never spoken to any other nation or that God has never uh, sent a messenger to a Gentile or something like that. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, one of the minor prophets is about an Israelite prophet who was sent to uh, a Gentile nation to go preach there. His name is Jonah, and he went to, of all places, Nineveh, uh, the place that we started off talking about that fell in 612. Um, well, apparently they could have fallen a lot earlier because he goes there and he says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And then they weren't overturned. They weren't destroyed in that 40 days. There's a sense in which you could say they were overturned because that word could also mean changed. Uh, repent is, is a definition of that word. But anyway, you have God who seems to still care about these other nations. 
Even last week, if you remember our, our lesson last week, we were looking at the book of Amos, and there's a really interesting passage towards the end of the book of Amos that, that makes a similar point to the children of, uh, of Israel about God's dealings with other Gentile nations. And he's rebuking Israel, saying that in essence, they have become like all the other nations, not just in their actions, but even in the view of, of God. And so if you look at, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Amos chapter 9, in verse 7, he says, are, not, uh, are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? He's like, when I look at you and I look at other pagan or other foreign nations, Gentile nations, at this point, you're just like them to me. Like, we entered into a covenant, but you don't keep the covenant. The covenant has been, has been neglected by you, so you, you are just as faithful to me as any other group of people is. And then he says in verse 7, have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt? And you say, okay, so there was an exodus. They could say, that's, our, that's what we have that these other nations don't have. You love us and brought us up out of Egypt. But the next phrase, he says, have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Cathor and the Arameans from Kerr? He mentions three different types of exoduses. Uh, one of them is Israel's, but the other one is the Philistines and the other one is the Arameans. And you say, wait a minute, God didn't give them God didn't bring them from the house of captors, did he? And apparently what God is saying is, yeah, I've saved other nations too. I've, I've had interactions with other nations. Uh, you get an interesting detail here that the Bible doesn't focus on, but you occasionally get glimpses of it where God is speaking to or occasionally even working through other nations. In fact, when you read like Isaiah 45, Isaiah 45 speaks about uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, and God calls him uh, his, his anointed one. His, his, I mean, it's the word Messiah in Hebrew, uh, but like God calls a Persian king someone that he's working through. The, Jeremiah describes, uh, describes Nebuchadnezzar as the Lord's servant. So God does seem to work through other nations sometimes, and sometimes he does it not to bless Israel, but sometimes he even uses other nations as his own instrument to punish Israel. And so God does have interactions with other nations, and I think he is concerned with other nations. As a matter of fact, if you remember what the ultimate original promise to Abraham was, it wasn't, I'm going to make you a great nation just because I like you as much as God did like Abraham, it was, I'm going to make you a great nation, and in you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's initiative through Abraham was about blessing other nations. So even the call of Israel itself, God had the other nations in mind. And so sometimes uh, I know people can, can be confused, or I, I know I've gotten questions before about, uh, well, why would God choose Israel to be saved and then everyone else to be lost? And I don't think that's really the way to think about it. Uh, I, I think God still did have interactions with other nations, and God still even would save, perhaps, from other nations. Uh, we know that he could save them uh, in, like, physically in warfare and things like that. But in the book of Romans, you also get the impression that while Israel had the law, 
that God kind of judged them according to. You had other nations who had their conscience that was instilled by God that God would judge them according to. Now, many of them, they, uh, in essence, cut themselves off from God, and they had creation itself that should have taught them about God, but in, in, instead they chose their own way, and they ignored truth, and they believed a lie, and they became idol worshipers and all of that type of stuff. And so there was certainly judgment of the other nations, but don't think that God didn't care about the other nations or that they had no opportunity. And right here you're getting an, uh, an instance where either God directly spoke to Nico or God sent somebody to Pharaoh Nico telling him what he wanted him to do, which is to go up speedily to Carchemish to join in this battle. And so that's kind of an interesting study in and of itself about God's dealing with the Gentiles even during the time of, uh, of the kings of Israel. But Josiah, when he hears Pharaoh Necho saying that God spoke to him, it doesn't change his actions at all. That's a fatal mistake on the part of Josiah. Uh, Josiah, earlier in the story, when he finds this book, what does he do when he reads the book? He seems to, to be open-hearted and, hu uh, and humble towards it. Uh, he tears his clothes after hearing it read. But then he also takes the book to a well-known prophet. He takes it to Hulda and, and is presented before her, and she tells him what he ought to do. He gets verification about what he should do when he finds something that may come from God. Perhaps, in this instance, he should have done the same type of thing. He should have heard, okay, so you're saying that you have a message from God that you're supposed to go up into this battle. I should get someone to verify this. And he calls Hulda again, or he calls out Jeremiah, or he calls someone to say, you know, I need some uh, guidance here as to what I ought to do. But instead of verifying the message, he flatly rejects it and ends up rejecting a, a message from God. He was directly warned by God through the, messenger, the messengers of Pharaoh Nico that God wants him to go this way, if you try to stop him, you'll end up dying. And Josiah rejects that message and engages anyway. So what happens is in verse 22, Josiah disguises himself in order to make war so that it's not known that the king is actually going out there to battle with him. Uh, you know, who is he trying to fool there? Uh, you know, you don't, you know, I'm, I'm assuming he knows he's not going to fool God. Uh, so I'm thinking that in Josiah's mind, he just, he just doesn't believe the message. It's not that he believes it and rejects it. I'm thinking he doesn't believe it. So, but maybe he's trying to fool uh, Pharaoh Nico into thinking, okay, so he did leave. He's not coming out to battle with me. But then he comes out disguised uh, for this battle. And what happens is really, really similar to what happens in an earlier story in uh, the book of Chronicles. We'll talk about it here in a second. But as he goes out to this battle in disguise, verse 23, the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, take me away for I am badly wounded. And his servants took him out uh, of the chariot and carried him in a second chariot, which he had, and brought him to Jerusalem where he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. So uh, here you have Josiah disguises himself, goes out to battle, gets an arrow from an archer, gets put in a chariot. He says, take me away, I'm badly wounded, and they take him away to Jerusalem. If you've read the whole book up to this point, 
that should sound some alarm, uh, some like alarm bells as to something that you read about earlier. Josiah is actually reenacting an event that took place a couple chapters earlier with a different king and a much worse king, a king in Israel. Uh, look back with me at Second Chronicles chapter 18. Second Chronicles chapter 18. In verse 28, this is, a, this is a failed move on the part of King Ahab. Uh, king Ahab is a king in northern Israel. He gets the southern uh, king to join him in a battle. And then he, he really tries to basically sell out the southern king and to save his own neck uh, in, in this battle. And it ends up blowing up in his face. But what happens in verse 28, it says, So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, so the king of Israel, Ahab, says to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. All right, they're, they're actually allies right now, kind of. Uh, he says to him, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had commanded the captains of the chariot, saying, do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. So the army that they're fighting is only trying to kill the king. And King Ahab says, you dress like the king. I'm just going to dress like a commoner and go out there into battle, okay? Uh, and so that's what his plan is. So uh, verse 31, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that's the king of southern Judah, they said, ah, it's the king of Israel, because he's the one who looks like a king. And so they turned aside to fight against him. So now everyone's going to fight Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God delivered them from him, or sorry, diverted them from him. So Jehoshaphat is actually a pretty decent king. He's a righteous king. He cries out to God during this battle, and God listens to him and saves him. That's, that's in essence, what Josiah does not do. Uh, Josiah does not go to God concerning this battle. This, this battle that Josiah is going into is, is entirely his own initiative. God has told the other army what to do. God wants them to do it. He's even, through Pharaoh Necho, sent messengers to Josiah telling him, don't engage. Josiah rejects that message, and Josiah ends up not being saved like Jehoshaphat. He ends up living out the story of King Ahab. King Ahab is the one who's disguised, who they're not even trying to kill. And then verse 32 says, When the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man, verse 33, drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in the joint of his armor. So he is out there, he's in full armor, no one knows that he's the king. Someone randomly shoots a bow. It flies through the air and it sinks into one of the small gaps in his armor. Now, the other guy was dressed as a king and had everyone after him and God saved him. The one who was disguised, who was supposed to fall in the battle, uh, he's the one who randomly gets struck with an arrow through a gap in his armor while he's disguised as somebody else. And guess, guess what happens? Uh, he's in a battle that he was told you will die if you go into this battle. He was told that clearly by Micaiah just earlier. He goes to the battle anyway. Uh, he goes disguised like Josiah is disguised. He's hit by an arrow like Josiah is hit by an arrow. Then he says in verse 33, 
He said to the driver of the chariot, turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded, which is very close to what Josiah said. Uh, take me away, for I am badly wounded, is what Josiah says. And so they both say to the one in the chariot, do that. Then they both get carried by a chariot out of it. Um, then the battle rages, verse 34. The battle raged that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot in front of the Arameans until evening, and at sunset he died. Um, two very similar stories right there about the, the deaths of these kings. One is the king of Israel who rejected God's message from Micaiah and went into the battle anyway, disguising himself, yet still got hit with an arrow, taken away in a chariot, and died. The other is King Josiah, who he has been faithful up to this point, but here in this battle, he decides to, uh, well, to engage in a battle he shouldn't have been engaged in, uh, by not listening to the word of the Lord, he ends up getting himself in disguise, going out there, getting hit by an arrow, being taken back in a chariot, and dying. So, uh, a lot of parallels there between these two stories where they're making the same fatal flaw in not listening to the voice of the Lord that was given to them uh, through somebody else. Now, the whole story of Josiah's life is a pretty positive one. Uh, he ends with this, with this tragic mistake that he makes, but that mistake wasn't enough for him to be remembered as a terrible king or an evil person or anything like that. Uh, it's not enough for God to say, oh, and I don't like Josiah anymore or anything, uh, but it is a mistake that I think we can learn a lesson from about being careful to listen to what the word of the Lord is. Uh, you know, not, not, not leaning on our own understanding of what makes sense, but actually going back to the source and trying to find out what the will of the Lord is. Josiah, I think, could have saved himself a lot of trouble if he had tried to verify, to try to get a word from the Lord about what's going on with Pharaoh Nico. It wasn't his battle. He wasn't supposed to have anything to do with it, and yet he engaged anyway. And when he was told that God doesn't want him to, he didn't even care enough to see if that was true or not. And then he ended up getting, uh, getting uh, killed in the battle because of that. Now, all of Judah and all of Jerusalem, they still loved Josiah, and they mourned at his passing. In verse 25, Jeremiah does also. It says, Then Jeremiah chanted a lament for Josiah, and all the male and the female singers speak about Josiah and their lamentations to this day. So his... You know, the, when Second Chronicles was written, it's towards the end of the, the period of, of like a whole Old Testament story. Uh, and they're saying even to this day, people are still chanting lamentations for Josiah. And they made him uh, an ordinance and, and they made them an ordinance in Israel. Behold, uh, they are also written in the book of laments or the lamentations. That probably should not be mistaken with the book of Lamentations in our Bible, which is more about the fall of Jerusalem than the, uh, the, the death of Josiah. But it does demonstrate that Jeremiah was in the habit of, of making lamentations at those catastrophic times in, in uh, Judah's history and in Israel's history. But then verse 26, now the rest of the acts um, of Josiah and his deeds of devotion as written in the law of the Lord and his acts, first to last, behold, they are written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. Uh, so, so basically, if you want to read more about this, you can read more about it in the book of kings of, of Israel and Judah. But notice his final description is the fact that he, in verse 26, uh, lived a life of devotion 
as written in the law of the Lord. He found that book of the law, he devoted himself to it, and he was faithful to God throughout it. Did he make a mistake? He did, and it ended up costing him. Um, You will probably find yourself in similar situations throughout your life. You have made overall the decision to commit yourself to the Lord. But there are going to be times and there are going to be moments when maybe uh, you're not as scrupulous as you should be. Or maybe you just really want to do something and it's not part of the will of God. Josiah, I think, really felt he perhaps even thought he was doing the right thing by going into battle against Pharaoh Necho and stopping him uh, as he was traveling through Judah to make his way up to a different battle. Uh, a battle which, by the way, he loses. Uh, and God's bringing him up there to a battle where he's going to lose anyway, uh, which is, is just interesting. And Babylon it ultimately ends up winning and becoming the mighty power. But that's still what God told him to do, and Josiah got in the way. Um, but your mistake shouldn't define you. Your sin that God has forgiven should not be what defines who you are and what your life is in Christ. When we think about Josiah, and when when the book of 2 Kings writes about Josiah, he doesn't even mention this. Uh, He doesn't want that to be what defines this king who spent his time reforming Israel, trying to bring them back to the law of the Lord, and trying to, to bring about righteousness in the land. That's what he wants people to remember. Chronicles does include the story, and it's a true story that's a part of his reign. That's something we should know about. But I don't think it's the type of thing that should necessarily define him. And sometimes we can make an error, even a catastrophic one, and we have a hard time letting go of the sin, and we end up seeing ourselves constantly through that lens. And I don't think that's what the text wants us to do with Josiah, and I don't think it's what we should do with ourselves. I think Paul, perhaps, uh, that was something that he had to work through in his life as he considered himself the chief of all sinners, yet he also could rejoice in the unbelievable grace and goodness of God who not only cleansed him of his sin and gave him hope, but called him to be an apostle and and, and an emissary of Jesus to the world around him. God was able to use him, and as we think of him, we shouldn't define him by his lowest moments. I think that is something we should remember about ourselves. It's also probably something we should remember about other people as well. Um, You're going to see other Christians who have had highs and who have had lows. Don't define people by their worst moments. Uh, If Jesus did that, we'd all be toast. Uh, So let's be generous in the way that we uh, think about, talk to, and view our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's remember the grace and the forgiveness of God so that we can have hope for ourselves even when we know our sins and our weaknesses. And I think we can remember Josiah is a great king in spite of the fact that he ended up making a pretty bad mistake. Um, if there's anyone here this evening, you're looking at your life and perhaps you can think of some of those pretty bad mistakes you've made. And you would like the prayers of the church, or you would like uh, the forgiveness of God. We pray that you would let that be known. We have, you have a family here who cares for you and wants to help you through those things. Uh, if there's anyone who has that need, please let it be known. And come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.